Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. We're going to uh, turn over to um, 2 Corinthians. So if you have a Bible this morning, we're going to get to 2 Corinthians here in uh, just a moment. So you can... Uh, Grab a Bible. If you don't have one, we've got some back in the Welcome Center for you if you want to pick up a Bible back there. Uh, But we'll get to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 here in just a moment. Uh, Have any of you ever had a crazy week? I mean, not just like there was a little bit of crazy, but you like you just had a crazy, crazy week. Uh, Okay, I guess just me. Oh, two. There's two of us here. Uh, That's that's maybe it's just me. I don't know. Uh, I think if we would be honest with ourselves, uh, we would all say from time to time we have crazy weeks. Uh, That just happens to us, right? That's just the nature of living in the world. And there's a lot of crazy in the world, and sometimes we pick up some of that crazy. Uh, We all have crazy weeks. Have any of you ever woke up on the wrong side of the bed? Oh, yeah. And some of you are, I see, nudging your spouse. Oh, yeah, I've seen you wake up on the wrong side. I remember growing up, Uh, as a young child, and I would hear people talk about waking up on the wrong side of the bed. And they're, oh, I woke up on the wrong side. And I I could never figure that out because on the wrong side of my bed was a wall. And I thought, how can they get up on the wrong side of bed? But as I grew up and uh, began to realize what they were talking about, sometimes, even though there is a wall on the wrong side of our bed, we still wake up on the wrong side of the bed, right? That just happens to us. Uh, There was a book when our kids were, well, it was when Lucy was little, that I read to Lucy. It's, It's a book that every single one of us have read. And we read this book to Lucy, and at one point, I'm sitting in her rocking chair in her room, reading her this book, and it hit me. I hate this book. And I'd never figured out why I hate this book before. And I'm going to say it, and you'll know exactly what book I'm talking about. The name of the book is Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Now, I know that that's probably some amazing literary work that is a rite of passage that every single one of us have to read uh, from time to time. But I want to read just a little bit of that book to you this morning so you can find out about Alexander and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. This is what Alexander says. I went to sleep with gum in my mouth, and now there is gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard, and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running, and I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At breakfast, Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal box. Nick found a junior undercover agent code in his breakfast cereal box. But in my breakfast cereal box, all I found was cereal. I am going to move to Australia 
Do they have very bad days in Australia too? Sometimes? I'm not sure. And then he says, at school, Mrs. Dickens liked Paul's picture of the sailboat better than my picture of the invisible castle. At singing time, she said I sang too loud. At counting time, she said I left out 16. Who needs 16 anyway? I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. He says, on my way downstairs, we fast forward just a little bit as he goes more through the school day. On my way downstairs, the elevator door closed on my foot. And while we were waiting for my mom to get into the car, Anthony made me fall where it was muddy. And then when I started crying because of the mud, Nick said I was a crybaby. And while I was punching Nick for saying crybaby, my mom came back with a car and scolded me for being muddy and fighting. I'm having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And I told everybody about it, and no one even cared. Then we picked up Dad at his office. He said I couldn't play with his copy machine, but I forgot. He also said to watch out for the books on his desk. And I was careful as could be, except for with my elbow. And he said, don't fool around with his phone, but I think I actually called Australia. My dad said, please don't pick him up anymore. I'm not going through this. This is a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Then there were lima beans for dinner, and I hate lima beans. There was kissing on TV, and I hate kissing. My bath was too hot. I got soap in my eyes. My marble went down the drain, and I had to wear my railroad train pajamas. I hate those railroad train pajamas. When I went to bed, Nick took back the pillow he said that I could keep, and the Mickey Mouse nightlight burned out, and I bit my tongue. The cat wants to sleep with Anthony, not me. It has been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. My mom says, though, that some days are just like that. I think I'm going to move to Australia. Have any of you ever had a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day where you wake up and you think, man, I just want to go back to bed and let's start this all over. Or you're going through your day and then you think, if we could just hurry up and get through the day so I could go home and we could push reset on this day and we could wake up over and over and over. You know, sometimes we have this untruth in our mind that as followers of Jesus Christ that we don't have terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. We think sometimes as followers of Jesus Christ that we are exempt from all of those things. But every one of us in relationship with Jesus Christ could attest to the fact that there are just times you have a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. It happens to us. But what is actually happening to us is where I want to focus on this morning. We're in the middle of a series called Our Spiritual DNA. And we started this at the beginning of the year. We're going to wrap up, I believe, in just a few more weeks. But what I wanted to focus on in this series are some very important things that we need to remember as followers of Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about the importance of making up our mind long before a decision confronts us. We want to be like Daniel, where we read in Daniel chapter 1-8 that Daniel determined in his heart, or in another translation, Daniel made up his mind long before, long before he was ever taken captive, and long before the decision confronted himself on whether he should eat the meat sacrificed to idols or not. Daniel had already made up his mind. And so I want to springboard, if you will, off of that to this. And this is what we have to remember The battle from the enemy is a battle, oftentimes, that takes place in our mind. Now, the enemy knows. 
If you're going to make up your mind, what he's going to do is cause the battle in your mind to try to get you to reverse how you've made up your mind so that when situations confront us, we are not going to do exactly what God has called us to do. And we are going to be lured away from what, from what God has called us to by the enemy because we've allowed the battle to take place in our mind. Let me tell you, we talk about the battle for our souls. And there is a battle for your soul. The enemy wants nothing more than to steal your soul. But the battle will take place in your mind. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I just want to read a couple of verses here right quick. Verse 3 of chapter 10. Paul writes, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the, war, as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, I don't know if you write in your Bible or you highlight in your Bible, but that would be a key verse to highlight in your Bible. We do not wage war with the weapons of this world. And what we get from Alexander and the horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day is a little boy who's going through life waging war with this day with the weapons of the world. You know, sure, it's on a comical level, and sure, we can look at that book, but we have to actually see what's taking place in our own lives. And we could all be little Alexanders from time to time. And we could all be people having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And Paul is writing to a church that is in a battle. And Paul says, you need to know as followers of Jesus Christ that you have divine power to demolish strongholds. This terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day sometimes if things just happen to us. If we allow the enemy to wage war in our mind, then what happens is that everything that comes at us, we believe, causes us to continue in this terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Or we can actually see the things that confront us for what they actually are in the spiritual realm that Paul is talking about here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Little Alexander, I can imagine, as he is at school, and here his teacher likes the picture that is, that is a brother drew a lot better. And then here he's drawn an invisible castle, whatever that might look like. The circumstances are true. There is a great photo here that's been drawn, and there is another photo here that's been, or a picture that's been drawn. And in these two, the teacher is just making a statement in that. And Alexander had a battle taking place in his mind because he woke up, and automatically, because he went to bed with gum in his hair, he's having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. There are some things that we have to remember that we have to confront when they come at us, and the choice for us is how are we going to view them? Are we going to view them the way that Paul says some people are viewing them as waging war the way that the world does? Or are we going to view these things as actually being uh, of us having divine power to demolish the strongholds? And then in verse 5, look what Paul says. Paul says, 
we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and listen to this, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. There's the battle. There's the battle. It's in your mind sometimes. Sure, there is a spiritual realm where we don't get the privilege of looking into all the time. God shows us those things that are taking place. But Paul is saying, you, follower of Jesus Christ, you, child of the blood-bought God, you, child of the Most High King, have to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ because the battle from the enemy is a battle that takes place in your mind. And if you allow the mind to run rampant, and if you don't take your thoughts into captivity, making it obedient to Christ, what happens is you're going to start having terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day after terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And then before you, before you realize it, you've gone down this rabbit trail of terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days because you have not recognized the battle that is taking place in your mind. Now, you, you can say, oh, that's, that's a little higher than where I want to be in my walk with Christ. That's a little deeper than I want to go in my walk with Christ. But I want to give you a real example of how this takes place. Several, several months ago, Melissa, I think it's probably been a couple, a couple years now ago, Melissa woke up one morning. We went to bed, and hey, everything was amazing. It was, it was great, right? We had a we had dinner, you know, living in family life. You go to bed, go to sleep, you wake up the next morning, and she's mad at me. Now, from 11 o'clock at night to 7 o'clock in the morning, I didn't do anything to her. I, should, I may have snored just a little bit. I, I may have, you know, kicked her or woke her. But there's nothing to wake up and be mad at me about, right? And I'm, not, I'm telling you, she was downright mad at me. And you know what happened? She had a dream that night, and she woke up furious with me over this dream. You know what was happening? There was a battle that was taking place in her mind. And sometimes those things, now she quickly got over it, and she told me what was, what was going on, and, and we realized what was, and so it was something to laugh about now, looking back. But that's just a small example of the battle that takes place in your mind. And you know what's gonna happen? When you leave here today, you're going to hear some of these motorcycles going by, and they're going to drive by your house, really loud, and you're, oh, I'm so mad, that's causing me to have a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. You know what's taking place in that moment? The battle is in your mind. And you think, oh, I'm mad at this guy because he cut me off in traffic. Or I'm mad at the, I'm mad at the, the server at the restaurant because they never refilled my drink. The battle is taking place in your mind. And Paul is saying that you have to take these thoughts that you have in your mind and you have to bring them captive and make them obedient to Christ because the battle from the enemy takes place in your mind. And we would think, we would think, oh, there's these circumstances that's been thrown at me. 
How is it then that there can be people that go through the exact same circumstances and one gets drawn deeper into darkness and one is delivered into his marvelous light? It's because they have not recognized the battle that's taking place in their mind. Because as we said last week, you have to make up your mind before you're put into situations just like Daniel was. Daniel made up his mind. He determined in his heart. And so what Daniel did is he took the thoughts captive and made them obedient to Christ so that when situations confront us, when the waitress doesn't fill up our glass, and when somebody cuts us off a trap, and when we're going through these things, nothing is going to separate us from the love of God. Imagine what it would have been like in this, this book that we read when little Alexander woke up with gum in his hair and he had taken that thought captive, we would have never had the book, and I would have been excited about that. <laughs> but imagine how little Alexander's entire day could have been completely changed. Imagine how he could have taken the thought captive, every single one of them, and made them obedient to Christ, and then he celebrates what God is doing in every single situation. Let me give you a passage of scripture here, Proverbs 23, verse 7, to go right along with this. The wisdom writer says to us, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Now, we know that we're not doing the thinking in our heart. We know that where we're doing our thinking is in our mind. And when you are stinking in your thinking, you're always going to have a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And when your thinking determines how you are going to approach everything, then you have to come to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, and say, listen, I've got a problem, and I'm going to bring all of those thoughts captive to make sure that they are obedient to Christ. Paul writing to a young Timothy in 2 Timothy verse 1, um, chapter, or, I'm sorry, chapter 1 verse 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but listen to this, but of power and love and what? A sound mind. Because Paul knew the battle from the enemy is going to first start in your mind. Absolutely, he's going to use other people to battle against you. And absolutely, Paul, uh, Paul reminds us um, in, in the book of Ephesians that we are going to see this battle in the spiritual realm that is attacking us. But Satan doesn't fight fair. And he not only uses external sources to attack us, to try to steal, to kill, and destroy, but he will also try to attack us from the inside and use the battle that's taking place in our mind. And you have to step out of those terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days and make sure that you are taking those thought captives and you are making them obedient to Christ. What Paul is saying here to a young Timothy is that there is a spirit of fear that wants to destroy your mind. 
And if the enemy can cripple you with fear in the way that we see little Alexander fearful, in the way that he's going to escape it is, hey, I'm moving to Australia because I know that these things don't happen to Australia. The enemy will cause fear to come into your life that will cripple you. It will immobilize you, but you have to remember that God did not give us the spirit of fear, but we've got to take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ so that we have a sound mind. The battle, the battle for your soul starts in the mind. It's a real battle, and we have to recognize this battle. And so when fear comes into our mind, fear cripples us. Fear stops us in our tracks. And we think, if I could just get home, if I could just go back to bed, I will wake up tomorrow, and all of this terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day is completely erased. It's gone. I've moved past it. And that will never be true until you take your thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Fear will cripple. But God has given us a sound mind. If we were to look here in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 again, Paul says in verse 3, For though we live in a world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight the fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And so listen to this. We demolish arguments and every pretension. Do you know what arguments are? Do you know what the arguments that Paul is talking about here? Another translation says that they are speculations. I like that a little bit better. Because we forget that the enemy wants to bring arguments against the Word of God into our mind. Because if the enemy is bringing, well, that's what the enemy does. He is the opposite of God. We see that all throughout, since the beginning of time, all throughout, all throughout the Scriptures, even in looking into Revelation. From Genesis to Revelation, we get it. We're living in that right now. What the enemy does is he wants to be the opposite of God. And it's interesting that Paul used this word arguments, or as another translation says, speculation. So what the enemy does is he brings these arguments against the Word of God into our lives. So as we sang this morning, we are who God says we are. Well, what does the enemy do? He presents these arguments against who God says that we are. Or, I like the other translation, the enemy brings this speculation into our life against who God says that we are. What is the speculation? Where, or where does the speculation take place? Speculation takes place in our mind, right? We let our minds run away with ourselves. We start thinking, well, what about this? Well, what about this? And what about this? Paul says, this is the battle that's taking place in your mind. We cannot get to speculation, and we cannot fall prey to the enemy's arguments. We have to come back with what we know to be true. That's what Daniel did. Daniel did exactly that. He knew who he was in Christ. He knew who God had made him to be. And there was no way that he was going to buy into the enemy's arguments or he was going to allow the speculation in his mind to lead him astray from that. And so the king said, here, or the king's servant said, here, here's the meat that you need to be eating. 
We're going to, you're hungry, you're famished, and we're going to provide for you meat. And this meat had been sacrificed to idols. And Daniel knew who he was. He did not allow the speculation in his mind to run away. And he knew that was the battle for his mind. Had Daniel done that, he could have imagined or he could have speculated about what was going to happen to him. He could have thought, boy, if I don't eat this meat, then what's going to happen is I'm going to slowly wither away. And then there's not going to be any food for me. And then my body is going to become so weak that I'm not able to move. And it would be important for my body to have some energy because I need to have energy to spend time in prayer with the Lord. And I need to be able to, to be who God made me to be. And so all of this speculation could have entered Daniel's mind. But he had taken those thoughts captive. And he did not allow the arguments from the enemy, or he did not allow the speculation from the enemy to cause him to have a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. He stood up against the enemy, and he took those thoughts captive, and he made them obedient to God, and he stood in who God had made him to be. Listen to me. There is a battle that is taking place for your mind, and if the enemy can cause speculation to enter your mind, or the enemy can cause his arguments to be heard in your, in your mind, he knows that he has already won the first step of the battle. You have to stand in who God made you to be, and you've got to bring thoughts captive to make sure that you are doing and uh, you are doing exactly what God wants you to do and being exactly who God wants you to be. And the battle starts in your mind by taking every thought captive. Now, that was the arguments, the speculation part. I like the last part of this. In taking these thoughts captive. When I think of being captive, I think of what, what it must have been like and the horribleness of what it would have been like to become a prisoner of war and serving your country faithfully and making sure that freedom is for everybody and then you're taken captive. The interesting thing about being captive is that you no longer have control of yourself. You lose that control. You are under the control of your captor, the one that is holding you. And I just find it so amazing, if you will, that Paul used this word captive in the dictionary to capture means to take into one's possession or to control by force to take into one's possession or to control by force. What Paul is telling the Corinthian church and thereby each of us is we have to go find these thoughts that are leading us to having these terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days and we have to take them back by force. How do we do that? He told us in verse 3. We're not fighting like the world does. We are on God Almighty's side, the one who spoke the world into existence. And so we're not fighting fair because we're on the winning side. We already have the victory that's in our mind. We already have the victory that we need to, in order to take these thoughts captive. All we have to do is go get the thoughts and bring them back to, be, to captivity in our mind to make sure that they're obedient to Christ. Paul said, you have divine power over the enemy who wants your mind to speculate 
and you've, all you've got to do is bring that thought back to being captive. Listen, there is a war that's taking place in your mind, and you have to go bring those thoughts into captivity so that as you bring them with divine power into captivity, those thoughts don't belong out in the world anymore. Those thoughts belong to the king of kings. And just as if a prisoner of war is being controlled by its captor, those thoughts are being controlled by God Almighty. And as you bring those thoughts back into captivity, what you're going to discover is when you wake up as little Alexander with gum in your hair, they're no longer causing you to have a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. You just begin walking. Well, I guess God is doing something awesome with this bubble gum that's stuck in my hair this morning. Because you begin to realize that God is using the bubble gum and he is going to bring glory and honor for him all because you took those thoughts captive. So let me tell you something. I think, I think that some of us have a default in our life. Whenever situations confront us, we just start saying some things. And when we allow our mouth to get ahead of ourselves, those thoughts are not captive. There was a bumper sticker that I wanted and my wife wouldn't allow me to get it. It says, some, the only reason I open my mouth is to change feet. Well, what happens sometimes is I open my mouth and my mouth got ahead of the thoughts that are captive in there. And we have to bring those thoughts back into captivity and measure our words. I'm guilty of that. I'm, I'm, I think all of us could be guilty. Could, if we would be honest, we'd say we're guilty of that sometimes. Because our default in the flesh is to just start talking. And we have to remember there are sometimes we have to push pause before we let it out, and we have to make sure that we are taking those thoughts captive. Now, my biggest fault, probably, well, I, I'll go a bit further. I say my biggest sin where the enemy lures me time and time again is I want to get ahead of God. I want to help God out. You're thinking that God needs a little bit of help, right? God needs my wisdom and he needs my abilities to try to encourage along the things that he's so slow about sometimes. I want to move God along and say, God, we're moving in this direction, so let's go. And so I'll say things sometimes, I'm like, oh, that, that's getting ahead of God. Or I'll type something sometimes and mm, I'm getting ahead of God. Or I'll, I'll, I'll be uh, doing something, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm getting ahead of God. What God is working on me about is he's saying, listen, Michael, you've got to come live 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 out. And you've got to make sure that you are taking these thoughts captive so that they are obedient to Christ. I am not perfect in any way, shape, or form in that way. I get ahead of God. And my thoughts sometimes are not always captive. But just because I mess up from time to time and my thoughts get ahead of me, my words get ahead of me and get ahead of God, does not mean that I cannot come back and say, God, I need help taking these thoughts captive and making them obedient to Christ. And that is true for every single one of us. Because our fleshly default is to always let the words go. And then we're like, oh, that wasn't a captive thought. That was not a captive thought, and it was not obedient to Christ.
And if we are going to operate as children of God, sons and daughters of the Most High, and we are going to take His, His light into the darkness that is surrounding the greater Daytona area, then what we have to recognize is that there is a battle from the enemy taking place in our minds, and we have to bring those thoughts back into captivity. The enemy wants to make you doubt the things that God said. And if he can do that, he's won the battle in your mind. And where did this begin? It actually began in Genesis chapter 3. If we were to go back to Genesis chapter 3, the very first verse, what we discover is the enemy that is causing this speculation, that is causing doubt into the enemy's mind, or into Eve's mind. And this is how the enemy says, this is, well, this is what the enemy says, did God really say that? So do you see the seed of speculation that the enemy planted in Eve's mind? Eve did not, and I'll tell Adam as well, they, they were both co-equals in this sin. They did not take the thought that was planted into their mind from the enemy and bring it captive and make it obedient to Christ. And so then what happened is Eve and Adam allowed this speculation to run rampant in their mind. Well, I don't know. Did God really say that? What, what did God really? You see, what the enemy was doing is battling in their mind, and they missed it. Because they didn't bring the thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Had Eve stood up in that moment and said, no, God did say that, the battle would have been over. Now, we know that the battle would have continued because the enemy doesn't fight fair. He keeps coming back and keeps coming back, and he finds our weakness when we are not operating in the divine power that Paul has told us of. But the enemy will always plant the speculation in our mind. It began in Genesis chapter 3. And it continues on this first Sunday in March of 2021. That's how the enemy fights. And we have to bring the thoughts captive and make sure that we are living as God created us to be. The way that we live differently as followers of Jesus Christ is by thinking and believing differently than this world. That's a part of what Paul was saying here. We have to believe different than this world. The world has its own weapons, and we're not fighting with those weapons because we have divine power. And so we have to change our thinking in that way and begin believing exactly what God has told us. So the way that we live differently is by thinking and believing differently. In John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, Jesus said these things. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Where does the truth rest? It rests in your mind. He said you will know the truth. Where do you know the truth? You know it in your mind. And when you know it in your mind, it's in the core of your very being. And that is how we begin uh, um, acting and believing differently because we have been radically changed and we now have God's divine power that is aiding us in destroying the battle from the enemy that is in our mind. Listen, Satan wants you to believe the lies from, the lies from him. 
Because he knows if he can cause you to begin to believe his lies or even begin the speculation part of those lies, he's won the game. David Dixon wrote this. These are lies. There's seven lies that Satan wants you to believe. Lie number one is God does not want to hear from you anymore. Not after you've ignored him for too long. That's a lie from the enemy. And if you allow that speculation that the enemy wants to plan in your mind to run rapid, what happens is you'll find yourself having terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. On and on and on. Lie number two. This world is too wicked and scary for me to ever find God's peace or joy. It's a lie from the enemy. Lie number three. Because God loves you, your behavior ultimately doesn't matter all that much. It's a lie from the enemy. Number four, confessing your sins will only hurt the people that you love. To spare them that pain, you have to keep all of it a secret. It's a lie from the enemy. Lie number five, the church's teachings are just so outdated. Just look at how most of the world believes and behaves today. Millions and millions of people can't be wrong. We need to discover our own truth. It's a lie from the enemy. Lie number six. You've tried and you tried, but you just can't measure up. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to make it with God. It's a lie from the enemy. But the truth is we are never going to be good enough. Because he was good enough, he came to pave the way for us. You see, what the enemy does is he puts all of these lies in front of us. And then when we don't bring the thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ, the, the war in our mind just goes on and on and on and on. The lie from the enemy number seven from David Dixon was you are worthless and you don't matter. Listen, you've got to crush the lies from the enemy. There's no no other way to do this, then you have to crush the, eyes, the, the lies from the enemy. The way that you crush the lies from the enemy is with his divine power. Paul gave us that in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. We crush them with God's divine power. And the way that you crush them with God's divine power, listen, the first thing is you have to hear from God Almighty. We've been talking a lot about hearing from God, the importance, the significance of hearing from God. What happened in Genesis was that God, or the enemy caused speculation in Adam and Eve's mind that caused them to not be able to hear from God. And what we find is from Genesis chapter 3 until Jesus came and he died on Mount Calvary and defeated sin and then rose from the grave on the third day and defeated the consequences of sin, which was death. God was paving the way to be able for his people to hear him again. All of us to be able to hear him again. Not just select people, as we saw from Genesis chapter 3 up until the, uh, the, uh, the um, destruction of sin that the enemy brought into the world. We saw God just choosing some select people, but God was paving the way so that all of us would be able to hear directly from the throne of grace. It's important for you to know that the way that you destroy the lies from the enemy is by hearing directly from God himself. So what would have happened in Genesis chapter 3 if in that moment when the enemy said, I'm planting a seed, some speculation, and he said, did God really say that? 
What would have happened if Eve would have said, hang on just a minute, I'll get back with you. And she would have said, hey God, did you really say this? And she waited to hear the voice of God. Then she could have come back and said, nope, he didn't say that. I'm not eating that fruit. It would have been a total life changer. And it would have happened because Eve crushed the speculation from the enemy. That's how we have to live. We have to live hearing directly from God and waiting on Him before we move forward. We have to apply that discipline in our life so that we are taking thoughts captive and making them obedient to Christ. We have to believe the truth that God has said about us. In Matthew 4, verse 4, Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Listen, God is waiting to have a conversation with you. That's what he wants to do more than anything in the world. He just wants you to come into him and to spend an intimate time with him in conversation with him. And Jesus is reminding the enemy that we're not just bread people. We are people that lives on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And you say, well, God, I don't hear from God in that way. Well, listen, it starts right here. I encourage you to take your word. We talk about the word of God. We want to give you the word of God if you don't. We keep free Bibles back there because we believe that your relationship starts with a tug of the Holy Spirit and then he pushes you into his word to receive those words he's already spoken, to clear your ears so you can hear every word that comes out of the mouth of God as you sit and walk with him. You destroy the lies and the speculation from the enemy by hearing directly from God. Ephesians 6, 17. I'll, I'll go through these right quick. Um, Paul says, take the, this he's talking about the war that's taking place for your mind here. He says, take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. Well, why is that important? Because you need the blood of Jesus salvation to cover your mind you have to make sure that there is a higher his divine power that covers your mind because we're not fighting this battle God is fighting the battle through us and we don't have the capability on our own but if we take the helmet and what does the helmet do it protects the brain it protects the mind And we have to cover ourselves, to cover our mind, to make sure that we are bringing those thoughts captive and making them obedient to Christ. Romans 12, 2, another passage of what Paul wrote here to to the Romans. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but listen, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. What was Eve doing in Genesis chapter 3? She was conforming to the patterns of the world what do we do when we get ahead of God we're conforming to the patterns of the world what is my greatest temptation it's to get ahead of God and to help God and say come on we've got to move this thing we've got to get going on something my temptation is to get ahead of God and conform to the pattern of the world But Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we are not in this world fighting with the world's weapons. What we have to do is be transformed by the renewing of our minds. 
So you not only have to hear from God, you have to renew your mind. So imagine what it would have been like for little Alexander, who had the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And he woke up, and the first thing he did is he renewed his mind. He transformed his mind. We wouldn't have had a book. We would have never had the book. The first thing, hear me, the first thing you have to do every day is you have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so I want to ask, what space have you allowed the enemy's speculation and arguments have you given to the enemy in your mind? Where in your mind has the enemy taken up residency? Where within this brain have you surrendered a space to the enemy? And you just bought into the lies. You thought, well, that's just how I am. That's just me. And I'll have to face God with that someday, but that's just me. Listen, listen. That's a lie from the enemy. And you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because what is happening is the enemy is causing his arguments and his speculation to enter your mind that you've allowed to run rampant. And you need to bring those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. So I want to give you something to focus on every single day. Every day. It's Philippians 4.8. I spoke in the secondary chapel this week, and I shared this passage of Scripture with him. I want to share it with you, because I believe this is where we win the battle of our mind. Paul, again writing, said, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is where you have to focus. When you wake up in the morning, this should be where you come to. And you say, okay, this is where I have to spend my mind's energy today. I've got to take these eight things, and I have to make sure that these eight things are the things that Paul says, I think about such things. Where do we think? We think in our mind. Paul said, here's eight things. I, I listed these out. They're praiseworthy, right, excellent, pure, lovely, admirable, noble, and true. And you know what I did? This, this I, I believe, was the Holy Spirit in a moment on Thursday morning before I was getting ready to come down for chapel. I said, I just want to put these words into a Scrabble word builder, and I just want to see if they spell anything. They, all eight words. I listed them out here. And you know what they spell? Pre-plant. Isn't that amazing? Listen to me. God has pre-planted in your mind what you need to take these thoughts captive and bring them into the obedience of Christ. It's pre-planted in you. It was wired in Adam and Eve in their spiritual DNA in the garden. The enemy caused his speculation and his arguments to separate Adam and Eve from what was pre-planted in them from God. 
And Paul is calling us as followers of Jesus Christ, as his sons and daughters, to stand with our thoughts captive, bringing them back into the obedience of Christ and allow what God has pre-planted in us to blossom. But let me tell you, if you don't bring your thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ, the war that is taking place in your mind will destroy you. It will destroy you. We can pass it off as a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, but it's going to destroy you. It will always destroy you. And so as we close our service this morning, I want to ask you, if you're ready to bring these thoughts captive, these arguments, the speculation that the enemy has been bringing into your life, you're just ready to say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm sick and tired of losing the battle. I'm sick and tired of the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, month, year, decade life that I've been having. And I am ready to go to the enemy's camp and bring those thoughts that he has taken and bring them captive to make sure that they are not controlled by the enemy any longer, but they are controlled with divine power by Jesus Christ and making them obedient to him so that the things that he has pre-planted in us, the praiseworthy things, the right things, the excellent things, the pure things, the lovely things, the admirable things, the noble things, and the true things can come to blossom and grow in my life so that the gardens of God have destroyed the arguments and the lies and the speculation from the enemy. Today is the day that God is calling you out of your mind to walk in what he has pre-planted in you and you are focusing on him and him alone and not the lies, the arguments, and the speculation of the enemy. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's Word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.